Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Sunday Take for August 20th, 2023. I'm your host, Blois Olson. News yesterday that former governor and congressman Al Qui passed away. We'll talk to Eric Escala to reflect on his time as governor and a different era in Minnesota politics. And we'll talk to Christy Rollwagon. She's the head of emergency management and homeland security for the state of Minnesota. How do those professionals prepare for disasters like Maui and the fires there, and what reflections or ideas can she learn and can we learn about emergency preparedness from her? Hey, next week, we're going to be live at the State Fair at the WCCO booth for the next two Sundays. Hoping to have Governor Walls on one of those Sundays and uh, would love for you to stop by at nine o'clock on Sunday. Say hello. Uh, Appreciate always getting out to meet people. It's been another week in Minnesota politics, and when we come back, the legend himself, Eric Escola, on the life and politics of Al Qui. I'm Blaise Olson. This is Sunday Take. You know, when we think about summer and farms, we think about corn, corn on the cob, and It is that time of year. Minnesota corn growers are providing that corn. They're also providing the corn for cleaner fuels through ethanol. Yes, that's right. In this year of smoggy smoke in our skies, it's farmers, Minnesota corn farmers specifically, who are making those skies as clear as they can be with cleaner fuels. Ethanol has been an innovation and one of the investments of Minnesota corn growers for a sustainable future. Because ultimately, if the future is challenged by the environment, by sustainability challenges, we have to overcome. We have to invest in innovative, cleaner ways in which to farm, in which to fuel and feed the future of America, the future of Minnesota, and the future of America. It's part of the mission of Minnesota Corn Growers. It's where they put their investments. It's where they find new technologies and find a better way, a more sustainable way for the future. That's this week's Sustainability Minute from Minnesota Corn. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. My first guest this Sunday is Eric Escola, longtime WCCO reporter. He's covered the Capitol for a couple decades, and uh, he is going to help us remember and know what we should know about the late Governor Al Qui. Eric Escola, thanks for joining me on the Sunday Take. Always great to be with you, Blois. Thanks for having me. So just uh, initial reflections on the man, his style, his leadership of former Governor and Congressman Al Qui. Well, old school, one of the last of the greatest generation to pass and 99 years old. You know, he was from southern Minnesota. He was in the state legislature. He had served in World War II before that. He became a member of Congress 20 years, I think, in the uh, in the U.S. House. Uh, ran, came back and ran for governor in 1978 and beat Rudy Perfect uh, rather handily. But he got into all kinds of budget trouble with a downturn in the economy and, you know, his promises of broad tax relief and so forth. There was talk of unallotment of state funds. The the budget got so uh, difficult, the shortfall and so forth. There were special sessions galore. I think if, if, if I recall, there was a special session concurrent with a regular session at one point between uh, 78 and, and 82. And uh, so he weathered all that storm, though, with, uh, you know, deep religious faith, quiet dignity, uh, was, as I say, kind of old school. And at that time, when he was uh, in running the the state and running for office, you got to remember that the uh, Republican Party was still a Gerald Ford style Republican Party, kind of a suburban white shoe party. Uh, It didn't really become Reagan's party until uh, a couple of years later, 1980 in Minnesota. But, uh, you know, he worked with Roger Moe to uh, get uh, the budget righted and to balance the budget and so forth. Uh, he, he, he really, I think at the end, he and his wife Gretchen were really just kind of sick of it. 
I mean, I kind of remember uh, they—they it was it was really grueling and it seemed to be never ending. And I think I think both of them as a couple were thrilled <laughs> to have uh, the term up and not to not, not to have to face and didn't want to face reelection in 1982. It's interesting you say that because I remember uh, in around 2010 and even when Governor Pawlenty had to deal with the budget deficit that uh, Al Qui would be, you know, tapped to remember history and thoughts. And then you think about the polarization now. Uh, obviously, things were partisan then, but the style was different. You bring up Roger Moe, and I can only imagine uh, two Norwegians kind of looking at each other saying, we got a problem, we got to figure this out in a certain style, in a certain manner that we just, we don't see that today, do we? Well, it was partisan back then, but I think the outcome was more important maybe than the partisanship. It wasn't, uh, I'm going to get you, stick it to you. There was some of that, of course. It's a, it's politics. What's the old saying? You can't take the politics out of politics. But I do think there was a, a common goal to, to fix the thing. But it, it was rough and it was not fun. And I think they, as I say, I think they were just both thrilled to have their term over, he and his wife, and uh, move on. And then in kind of in the Jimmy Carter mold, his post-governorship, I think, extremely productive and worthwhile, where he and Charles Colson, who was one of the members of the Watergate era, the Nixon era, started a, a prison ministry where they uh, preached to uh, prison inmates and got them on the right track and so forth. And I think that showed uh, another side of Alqui, you know, religious man, uh, strong moral values and so forth. And, uh, you know, he, he ended up being a, a, a kind of a rancher and a horseman and, uh, you know, led, led a very extremely dignified life, uh, very well respected on both sides of the aisle. And uh, as I say, this is uh, there are very few of these fellows left who uh, uh, served in World War II, served in public service for public services sake. And uh, that's why they get that greatest generation designation. You know, I I can't help but think um, about the time of a leader like he and you compare him to Carter post Nixon, obviously trust in government, trust in politics, very low. Um, Even as a one term governor who chose not to run again, he was probably the right guy at the right time for the right era. And that is somehow, you know, not always remembered in history, the way the issues of the day or the, the battles or the, the elections of the day is we just seem to sometimes have, um, you know, leaders who you don't know what's coming, but when it comes, they find themselves in the right place. What was his impact on the, future of the Republican Party after he served. I know that governors, you know, I know he offered counsel to all governors since then, but if you think of Governor Carlson and Governor Pawlenty, he was obviously the one they turned to from a Republican standpoint. Well, the Republican Party has gone through quite a bit of iterations, and uh, it it was a more of a, you know, was the independent Republican Party. You recall that label, post-Watergate voice. And I think there was a sense that, and I think there's even a sense today that there, there are some Republicans saying we should go back to independent Republican. But the, uh, you know, the, he, was, uh, he was an evangelical 
I think, as, as far as a, a religion is concerned. Uh, but I don't know that he wore it on his sleeve. And I, I don't know that, you know, the Alan Quist part of the party as it came along, I, I, and I think it became more and more conservative. And uh, while he was uh, there with the religious uh, aspect in his own personal life, I, I don't know that uh, he was a, a strong believer in the, you know, the more extreme uh, conservatism that on occasion would uh, elect delegates to conventions and endorse candidates and so forth. When you think about those special sessions in that era to um, the players, I mean, one of the things is that, you know, Republicans having not held the governor's office that much in 50 years, um, they don't necessarily build a bench. And so I, I think of a lot of folks who came out of his administration that, uh, you know, became the future leaders of the party. Well, he caught a break in 1978. This was right after Wendy Anderson had, a, you know, had himself appointed to the, from governor to the U.S. Senate. Uh, the uh, there was a the the Republican massacre mm-hmm. uh, of 1978, and he caught that that win. Um, so the, he had a lot. Kind of timing is everything in politics, as you know better than I do. And uh, he he caught good timing in 1978. Um, I don't know that he had the. Um, there was a Stassen branch, yep. you know, Harold Bander and that Dernberger and that group. And uh, I'm sure there were folks in the Cui the administration and, and served uh, with him in the legislature that uh, took on future leadership in the Republican Party. Eric, uh, any final thoughts on uh, former Governor Cui? Well, he deserves accolades for being, like I say, the old school, greatest generation, public service for all the right reasons. Uh, served with distinction in government, and after his uh, his time in government was over, he served a very productive uh, and effective uh, life as a private citizen. And uh, it's important to remember kind of the the origins uh, of uh, Minnesota as far as a state that works and a state that uh, folks get along, and uh, kind of a bygone era that uh, we can uh, always learn from. I think, boys. I agree, Eric. Thanks for joining me on Sunday Tech. Yes, sir. When we come back, Christy Rollwagen, the state's emergency management leader and homeland security leader, on how emergency managers are learning and watching the tragedy in Hawaii and what we have for infrastructure here in Minnesota. I'm Blois Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. My guest this Sunday is Christy Rollwagen. She is the emergency manager for the state of Minnesota, director, 
director of emergency management. And I thought, as I said in the open, that uh, discussing preparedness and being ready and professionals that even at a split second or in a couple minutes have to make decisions. Obviously, a lot of discussion about Maui and Hawaii and the fires there. And I thought it'd be a good refresher for Minnesota that we have our own system uh, of professionals that work together. Christy, thanks for joining me. Well, good morning, boys, and thanks for having me today. So just give a little bit of background and context. What's your job? What's your role? How does it fit within state government? All righty, I can give it a shot here. Well, first of all, um, I've been in my position here now just a little over three months. Uh, My background is 28 years in the fire service and emergency management. My role here as the director of Homeland Security and Emergency Management is really to oversee a, a division within the Department of Public Safety that is responsible for what I call all hazards um, emergency management for the state of Minnesota. So coordination across not just only state agencies that have responsibilities defined in Chapter 12, which is the emergency management statute, but also um, when we look at federal government assistance to state and local government, we're in the role of helping facilitate that. We also are responsible for the dissemination of all of the federal homeland security grants to our state and local partners here in Minnesota. And then we look at it through the lens of all hazards preparedness. And so we look at uh, coordination across all of our disciplines, police and fire, um, public health, public works. Uh, I could go on. There's like about 10 disciplines that have responsibilities for emergency management. And then our goal is to just make sure that we are um, prepared to uh, respond to, recover from, and possibly even mitigate if we need to anything from severe weather to fires to public health emergencies. And we just all got done living through COVID. Um, lots of different types of, of uh, public safety entities coming together and non-traditional public safety entities. So we coordinate, we collaborate, we communicate to support the local jurisdiction in the best way that we can. As you look at this summer um, and the idea that, you know, Minnesota, we could have tornadoes, we could have fires, we could have floods. How do you go about anticipating following, you know, conditions, news, weather reports um, to be kind of ready to go? Is there, you know, is there kind of a staging factor of oh look we're really dry right now or there's a you know tornado watch let's alert people that you know if something touched down we're here we're ready i know that starts at the local level but how does the state play a role that's a great question um we play a role because we 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 do a lot of partnership um connection points so that collaboration point that coordination point uh, we work um, hand in glove with the National Weather Service, with NOAA. We work with um, other state agencies. So in particular, when you talk about wildland fires, um, we're, we're working right, real closely with the Minnesota DNR and the wildland firefighting resources they have. We also work with our state agriculture partners um, and our state hydrology unit, where we're looking at things like our drought task force 
and our, we also plan for heat emergencies, which we actually will be putting some of those plans into play here this week as we're looking at the warm weather coming. And then when you look at um, different types of emergencies, so say non-weather type emergencies, tornadoes or floods or, or winter weather, uh, as we look at uh, the, the consequences of some of that weather, flooding, um, severe weather, we are always in partnership with all of the federal agencies that are and state agencies that provide input. And then we try to convene at the local level, our local partners. And so we do that in anticipation of an event happening. And we do those coordination calls with them, identify where we might have resource needs, do our best to anticipate what they might be, and even go as far as sometimes staging resources if we need to, or be prepared to stage those resources. One thing that strikes me as someone uh, in your role, someone with your training, but frankly, it's it's a certain type of person um, who kind of just wakes up with the mentality of uh, not knowing what they're going to encounter today, trying to be ready for everything. Um, how did you find your way into this uh, world, into this uh, career, and um, and what what? do you find is common amongst people who, you know, apply for these roles either at the local level, at the state level, or in other ways? Well, to be honest with you, I wanted to be a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) And became a hose dragger and then eventually uh, got into emergency management. Um, I I found my way. um, I I was working uh, three jobs at the end of my uh, senior year of college and Somebody challenged me to go take a firefighter class. I was already certified as an emergency medical technician working on the ambulance. And I went and took this firefighter class and I loved it. And then pretty soon I was working, um, assisting with our state, the coordination of our state hazardous materials response teams. And I started to see that complexity of that integrated response. And that's really what emergency management helps facilitate. Um, And I loved every minute of it and never have looked back. Um, we're all type A's, really bad type A's. Um, we all are on all the time and don't know how to turn our phones off. And really, um, honestly, um, it is an honor and a privilege to be the director at HSEM. It has always been an honor and a privilege to serve the community. And, and really, the, at the end of the day, that I think you have to have that at your core, that you want to be somebody who can uh, assist the locals on their worst day um, or assist an individual homeowner or a member of the community on their worst day and uh, try to do what you can to make it just a little bit better. I'm speaking with Christy Rollwagen. She's state director of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. And there's been a lot of attention, Christy, about Hawaii and whether or not to sound the sirens, whether or not that there was a way in which to manage the fires better. One of the things, you know, that we know about emergencies is that after the fact, people look back and say, what could we have done better? What went really well? What uh, other resources might we have needed? And I don't want to play, you know, Sunday morning quarterback here with emergency management in Hawaii, so far away uh, in a place I've never been. But can you talk about what you learn from these other incidents, what you look at in these other incidents and, and how, you know, you kind of analyze or, or try to figure out, um, you know, 
how did they do? How would we do it? What do we have that they don't have? What don't we have that they may have? That's a great question. First of all, I just want to offer my sincere sympathies for the loss of life in, in Hawaii right now and the loss of the property and, and all of their belongings. And my prayers are with them for a, a swift and complete recovery. Um, I can't even imagine um, how fast those things happen down there um and it just it's it's hard to fathom the destruction and when you see it on television or in some of the images on the news um so i will share with you an experience i had before coming well before living through COVID and civil unrest the last couple of years my largest disaster that i was a part of was the i-35w bridge collapse yes and i being the public information officer for the first 24 hours of the incident by default and um, I used the word several when they kept wanting, the media kept wanting to have uh, how many fatalities, how many, uh, you know, people are in the river. And I used the word several and they, over the course of 12 hours, it evolved into seven and it was interpreted as seven. And I had to try, we spent hours, in fact, days trying to back off uh, that interpretation. Um, so, so what I tell you is that I never question anyone's response because everyone um, is, is, is subject to being misinterpreted or um, having uh, said something that is, is interpreted in a different way. Um, so I'm not going to come in and, and quarter Monday morning quarterback these guys. But um, what I will tell you is that we promote and we look at incidents like Hawaii. We look at incidents like Hurricane Sandy. We try to do what we can to analyze uh, the entire incident from start to finish, and we rely on, on agencies to do that. So after the bridge collapse, we actually had FEMA come in, and they did a comprehensive after-action report. And any good emergency manager picks up the report and really looks at it and compares it to their local jurisdiction. So what we'll be doing post you know, this event in Hawaii, I'm sure there will be multiple reports that we'll be able to look at. We will take that and we will pay very close attention to things that could translate into the way we do emergency management in the state of Minnesota. Um, you know, and then the other thing I'd, I'd just like to echo is that, you know, there are so many different ways besides sirens that folks can be notified of an emergency. You know, in the state of Minnesota, we typically use sirens for a high wind event or a, a tornado. Um, and, you know, they used to be used for civil defense. Um, we ask folks to make sure that on their uh, cell phones that they can opt in to receive wireless emergency alerts. So think of the amber alert on your phone that goes off. Most jurisdictions allow you to opt into notifications. So I live in the city of Bloomington and, you know, they test the sirens the first Wednesday of every month. And I get a phone call, an email and a text message from the city from their emergency notification system. Folks should invest in a NOAA weather radio. That's another mechanism for folks to be notified of, of severe weather and winter weather, flash flooding. Um, it's a great tool to have. And, you know, of course, TV and radio, we've come a long way in the ability to promote messaging, um, emergency messaging, pre-event messaging, post-event messaging. Um, in multiple languages, especially with our partners like TPT, where they will provide translation services in a dedicated channel. And then, you know, we also 
might have to go old school. And, you know, if you lose power and you lose the ability to communicate with your community, you might need to get people in vehicles with bullhorns, um, you know, or over their uh, squad radios and just start making notifications that way. So it's a lot about redundancy, different types of ways of being notified. And I, and the onus is also on the, on the citizen. It's not just government. Um, it's a partnership. And so we really want to promote folks being able to get those emergency messages, having a preparedness kit and a family communications plan so that if they need to go and relocate, um, they can get out of Dodge if they have to um, at a moment's notice. You know, I, I, I think it's uh, fascinating. I'm not surprised, first of all, as a communicator uh, in most of my life, but uh, my job uh, here both on the radio and in, in our consulting space, um, communications is obviously important. So I want to compliment you on taking that question about Hawaii and turning it into what everybody in Minnesota should know about themselves, because I think that's one of the ways in which media, social media has changed is that there's so much scrutiny or what ifs in the way people talk because there's more information, there's more messages, there's more stories, there's more misinformation out there that oftentimes we don't find that people reflect back upon their role or their world. So for instance, you know, we have, you know, I live in St. Louis Park and um, last week during the hail event, I was not here and I saw images on social media in my community and then immediately, you know, had this impression about what happened here. But then I called my neighbor and he said, no, that was like a mile from here. It wasn't there. And so I, I think it's interesting about all those channels. You can get information and the urgency for people to stay connected if they know there's severe weather or they know there's an incident so that it's not just the onus of did the government do it right? We all have, you know, hopefully we all can call a neighbor if we're out of town or we can call a neighbor and make sure they're safe. So you're right. There is a community kind of we're all in this together attitude that has to happen during emergency management. Is there, are there communities that do that well? Are there ways in which emergency managers hope that, you know, maybe people read their city newsletter or, you know, their city emails, you know, so that it's not just in an emergency. Um, it, it is kind of part of that preparedness. You know, I, I would not to brag about Minnesota, but I'm going to brag about Minnesota. We've heard for, oh, I'd say 10, 15 years that Minnesota's are just a step ahead of other states in the United States in terms of how um, emergency management is embraced and the ability to do um, all hazards emergency management um, across all of those spectrums, you know, preparedness, response, recovery, mitigation. Um, we do it well here in this state and we collectively, not the state, but our partners at the, at the local and the county level. And we do it with a lot of creativity, a lot of uh, forward-leaning types of of, of, uh, of 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 projects, and so for example, I talked a little bit about public television. You know, TPT and uh, Echo, which is Emergency Community Health Outreach, started with just a concept of being able to speak in multiple languages with emergency information to our immigrant 
community, and it has grown into being a dedicated uh, channel um, in your television, and it is a it is the premier authority for being able to communicate emergency messages, but across not just the emergency. How do we prepare? How do we get ready to respond to? How do we recover? And during the pandemic, those resources were so important because information changes so fast. I think that in particular, when you look at our partnership with the Weather Service, the ability to take emergency uh, siren notifications and, and being able to take um, and really drill them down into just your neighborhood and your, your hail example is a perfect example, Blois. Um, You know, when the sirens used to sound, they used to sound for all of Hennepin County. And it wouldn't matter if the storm was in Medina and you're in St. Louis Park, you would still get that notification uh, because something was going on in Medina. The technology has changed and the Weather Service has invested in the ability to really do uh, a polygon type notification in partnership with those uh, public safety answering points that sound the sirens and be able to really direct and target messaging so that we don't find folks get message fatigue. And so we're, we're, you know, we're just working really hard to always improve our ability to be prepared uh, to respond to something and then to recover from it here in Minnesota. And if we find that, you know, something isn't working, you know, we're really good at analyzing internally across uh, state and local government as to how to do things better. And and I give all of our emergency managers in our state a lot of credit for that. A lot of really good work gets done on a daily basis that goes unnoticed by members of the public. Well, Christy, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. And I think we'll end on that note is that uh, emergency managers hope they are never noticed and never needed, but in reality they are. So thank you for your service. Thanks to all those local emergency managers. And, you know, may we not talk soon about an emergency in Minnesota. Got a deal. Thanks for having me, Blois. When we come back, the take. What's on my mind this week? You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. This week's take is really about the state fair. It kicks off this week. It's one of my favorite things. After dropping the youngest at college last week, I look forward to the fair, but it is a family tradition for us, and it's a family tradition because the flavors and the connections of all of Minnesota are there. You know, I've been to a lot of events this summer related to the state, from Taste of Minnesota to Farm Fest, and now the state of Minnesota, the grand finale before we go back to school, the great Minnesota get-together, the state fair. And so... As we're at the state fair in a non-election year, without a governor's race, without a presidential race, my hope is that for me, I can listen, I can hear, I can sense what's on the minds of everyday Minnesotans. As we get ready to go back to school, is it education? As we deal with health care challenges, is it health care? Is it the economy? You can send out rebate checks. You can hold press conferences. But ultimately, my challenge to legislators and lawmakers and governors and senators and congressmen and women is that they use this fair to listen. And my challenge to the public and to those of you who listen to the show is to go to the other side's booth. Hold a civil conversation. That's what we'll be doing on the WCCO stage for Sunday Take. My goal is to have thoughtful, 
deeper, meaningful conversations about, A, the future of the state, the future of politics, the tone of politics. Because I know as you listen to this show every Sunday with a cup of coffee or your tea, you don't want people screaming at each other. You don't want the cheap shots from Twitter. You want engagement and knowledge. And that ultimately is what the great Minnesota get-together should do. So as we get ready for the State Fair, let's learn something from each other this year. That's my plan, and I hope to see you there. We'll see you live from the WCCO radio booth next week at the State Fair, 9 a.m. Sunday morning. I'm Blaise Olson. Until next week, that's The Take on Sunday. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.